Greetings and welcome to Broken Boxes podcast. This is a three-part interview series featuring the prolific artist Kathy Elkwoman Whitman. Elkwoman happens to be my mother-in-law and I have had the privilege to be in her life for over 14 years. I am proud to be her daughter-in-law and also so humbled to share her story on Broken Boxes finally. <laughs> This interview mini-series is hosted by my partner in life and art, Chinupa Hanska Luger, who is Elk Woman's son. We recorded these sessions on Christmas Day of 2021 at her oldest daughter Shannon's house in Denver, Colorado. There is something so special about witnessing this type of sharing intergenerationally around art, and I hope you enjoy listening to this series as much as I enjoyed producing it for my family. May Elk Woman's story and her conversation with her son bring deeper understanding to the joy, pain, resilience, ancestral wisdom, and stubborn fight that weaves through all the generations of these badass Indigenous artists. I'll read a brief bio for Elk Woman and for Chinupa to set the stage. Kathy Elk Woman Whitman is a fearless artist who over the course of her life has continually taken creative risks and pushed conceptual boundaries in the native art world. A true multidisciplinary artist and an enrolled member of the three affiliated tribes of Fort Berthold, Elk Woman is a master stone and metal sculptor, a painter, a jeweler, and a fashion designer. Over the course of her career, Elk Woman has been honored with many prestigious awards and participated in numerous exhibitions around the world. She is a member of the Indigenous Sculptor Society and continues to lead art workshops and participate in artist residencies throughout the United States. Her artwork is in many public collections and she continues to be acknowledged in the Indigenous art world as a groundbreaking artist of her generation. When asked about her life as an artist, Elk Woman reflects that what she truly loves and appreciates about her life is the ability to continue to create and impact the world with her artwork. Chinupa Hanska Luger is a multidisciplinary artist and an enrolled member of the three affiliated tribes of Fort Berthold and of Mandan, Hidatsa, Rikara, and Lakota descent. Through monumental installations, performance, and social collaboration, Luger activates speculative fiction and communicates stories about 21st century indigeneity. Now, this is a three-part chronological broadcast series, so I recommend listening to it in order. Thank you for tuning into Broken Boxes podcast, and we really appreciate you. Kathy Whitman, Manogawea, Alquaman, Mom. <laughs> It's been a long time. Long time. It has. <laughs> well, I'm intrigued. I think that there is there's a story that I have experienced through this with you. Mm -hmm. We've made it all the way to the southwest. We made it into the the old glory days of the native art market. Yeah. And I'd like to use this kind of section here. To talk about your experience in that, the effect of the economy and the market mm -hmm. on your experience, and uh, yeah, see where it goes from there. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
You're, you're going to have to talk about it. <laughs> you don't want to explain it for me? <laughs> I'll sum it up afterwards. Yes, well, I talked about it was good and, you know, it had its ups and downs, but that was the name of the game in those days about using galleries and shows in the competitions. But over the years, I mean, I started in 87, so what, I've been doing art for 30-some years. I mean, I don't know, I want to say professionally or whatever, but doing shows and being in competitions, you know, for... 30 some over 35 years anyway and um I just got so burnt out on it I mean I was really definitely getting burnt out on it probably the last 10 years of shows and the whole mentality of customers I guess you might say I mean people that come up to you at shows and I really just got burnt out about having to explain and and even I mean I really like to talk about the work and the ideas behind it. If people are really sincere about it, if they really, really want us to know, and you can tell, you know, when somebody's sincerely interested, but if they're interested only from a value perspective, you know, then I just, I'm turned off right away. I don't even want to talk to them anymore. And then I don't want to just talk if somebody's just asking to be asking, you know, for no real, not really want to know. I mean, if you hear that over that many years doing three, four, five shows every year and you run into a lot of the same customers but you run into new people too and the the new people would be asking that and like you said, you heard those same questions over and over and just the having to, uh, what is that word, um, having to humor them by talking to them or telling them, oh, I hated that and obviously that's what I had to do in the beginning but it, but it just, be, you know, it got to be harder and harder to do that and I got tired of it, and just like my work should speak for itself, I don't want to have to stand here and try to. I, it it began to feel like I was pushing my work. It didn't feel enjoyable anymore to go sell at shows. It just felt it was humiliating. I mean, I I started to feel being humiliated, you know, to sit there. And I think I'm doing been doing this all these years, and and even the thing about how do you value your work? I mean, how do you like questioning? the price or even wanting to bring you down, you know, and I'd ask, I remember asking somebody, it's so, you just cringe at that. Um, remember asking them, what's your job? What do you do? You know, and then tell me, I don't know if he was a dentist or doctor or some kind of thing. Well, you know, what if your patient said, um, can we do half? You know, <laughs> I'll give you half. How's that sound? You know, that kind of thing. And, and then they're like, oh, you know, think it's funny and it's no joke. You know, I'm serious. This is my living. And this is my expertise, which I've accumulated over the years. You know, you don't, it's not like I just started and going to do it. You're paying for all those years too, you know, that of my experience, you know, and practice. Anyway, I just got tired of that. And, um, but that was the name of the game during those times. And then probably in the mid nineties or so, it really, you know, Native American art for me, I, maybe it was the sculpture part wasn't that hot or it wasn't it didn't sell as easily and um you know I tried to be innovative I mean from the time I you know I started market I was doing stone sculptures and paintings but mostly I focused on stone sculptures then I went into painting I mean I brought my painting back and then and then I did silver <clears throat> you know took some um silversmith classes started to do that and um 
learn to weld steel and, and build big sculptures because I wanted to be able to, to transport, move my own big monumental sculptures around physically where you can't really do that with stone. You need cranes or whatever, you know. And I loved doing new, when you're doing it a full time for that many years. For me, I needed to need to be re-stimulated, you know, and, and have new motivation with the new medium and a lot of times combining them too. You know, then I went into the recycling, uh, wanting to do more to be a difference to the world by what I did, you know, not not just talk about we want to live in harmony and balance in my stone, but but really doing using recycled materials to say we can do this, you know, what take something and reuse it, turn it into something beautiful. And that was great. I mean, at first, the, the jewelry was just, I used to get annoyed when people would say, oh, that's so cute. <laughs> you know, <laughs> Instead of getting the point of, of what, I, it, what I was really doing. And I'd just kind of be offended sometimes, you know, like this, but this is serious. You know, <laughs> don't you see the importance of this kind of thing? You know, I would feel like that. And so I started to do the sculptures to make them more realistic so that they could really see Oh, there is, you know, there's really, there really is a difference here, you know, and, and I liked it when they didn't know it was recycled cans that I was making sculptures out of. I mean, I had people ask me if it was ceramic even, <laughs> you know, these cans. And, and I always liked to blow their minds that it was cans. But, but then there was that mindset, which I really would get frustrated with too, is that, well, this isn't a recognized viable material in the art world you know you got to do bronze or marble or you know some kind of stone or or you know casting something in in some kind of metal or or ceramic you know what i mean but but recycled cans mm, you know not seeing any value not seeing the art for art's purpose you know yeah that just i really frustrated me you know like what the hell's wrong with you can't see you know past your nose kind of a thing. I, I just didn't like that closed-mindedness in that field. I mean, although I won ribbons on my recycled materials, which was great, you know, doing sculptures and winning ribbons. I mean, I really liked that because it showed me that those people saw beyond, you know, they saw. And I, I, I really liked that idea. And and it and for me, it was proving to other artists also that you, you can step out of the box, you know? You can go out there. You can break out of that mold of what they say you're supposed to be and what you're supposed to create with. You know what I mean? But it just, I don't know. I just got frustrated because it just seemed like it wasn't the impact I felt like wasn't there. Do you know what I mean? It kind of made me just feel, anyway. Well, and the the labor of working with that material. Yeah. It's, People can't see the the value of the material for the labor that it takes to produce it. All the, it, the material itself diminishes the labor in the eyes of of the, yeah, you know the market, the the economy, you know of it. Um, you mentioned sculpture also being kind of difficult during that time, like just to provide social context. Mid nineties. This is like one of these large real estate booms in the country. People purchasing houses. The house is made of of like ticky tacky material. Mm -hmm. Huge McMansions all mm -hmm. over the place. But we also started to see that some of the most expensive real estate in the country is inside of people's homes. 
you know yeah. so the space that a sculpture takes up is a space that you don't get to exist in your house mm-hmm. and you just see these sorts of things kind of find their way into all of these other markets sculpture being a, a, a difficult thing you know mm-hmm. in the in those areas and then if you are going to take it up then let's fill it with some precious material you know yeah and then you're doing contrary to that yeah and you're working harder at that mm-hmm. than carving a stone you know yeah in a lot of ways yeah yeah well and and you know the stone carving i mean i loved it and it the stone working with stone but i just felt like i tapped out you know on it as far as i created everything that i had tried and wanted to do in my head cutting through stone making them really thin you know having a lot of space and movement and and you know doing realism to the nth degree for my from my perspective and then you know doing real abstract forms and thing thin like i said and make it look like glass or wax or you know what i mean just to have it flowy and then even combining it with stone with metal you know doing that and it just i felt like i didn't really know where else to go with it you know it was like i didn't have any more motivation to create more with it you know yeah well and i'm also thinking like in that market right the work you create is you know the whole time you're like can can this work not speak for who i am like why do i have to continuously reassert who i am yeah in relationship to this to this work but simultaneously you kept trying to innovate so you were changing your work i know right and so in the process of changing your work then you have to reestablish how how that work speaks for you you know mm-hmm. so you get into this kind of feedback loop of defending the choices that you want to make being excited and wanting to innovate and mm-hmm. push your own skill sets mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. learn new skill sets um to keep yourself entertained in the monotony of this and then simultaneously the monotony of it is driven by the material and the object and the form so it's it's that's a difficult it's a difficult to ask nobody is valuing the process they want to value the, the object whatever is made yeah you know and then also they don't necessarily want to value the artist right you right know? right and the artist being an extension of the process you know if you were valued as an artist all of your innovation all of your change all of your exploration should have been celebrated as art as process exactly but it wasn't no and i remember a, a, a pretty big money person that was a collector i remember she had bought a, a sculpture of mine that was a native woman in a buckskin dress with all the details you know and she's holding a baby i did a lot of mothers and babies because of my own kids and you know having babies and loving babies and being a mom and i mean it was a real detailed piece and i enjoyed doing it and you know I, I did a few different versions of it this was a standing one. but i remember her saying to me you know and i did something new and different i don't remember what it was but i just remember her saying you should just why don't you do more of those you should just do more of those <laughs> like you know just really frustrated with that yeah. and and it's insulting <laughs> and you're like i've done plenty oh my gosh <laughs> Yeah. Well, yeah. it's interesting because you also, you know, in that time, uh, mid mid to late '90s, in the larger popular culture kind of kind of space, there's a there's a wave of feminism that's finding its way through the 
general American public. Mm -hmm. The thing that became an asset, you being a female stone sculptor, mm -hmm. how many works were purchased in that camaraderie and celebration and mm -hmm. wanting you to always produce that and be that for them. Yeah. Like if you could yeah. just make this stuff, I could project my own values onto whatever you create, you know, mm -hmm. um, as long as what you create is mothers and babies. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I'm having a hard time projecting my values onto whatever else. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And I mean, and galleries did that too, you know, and their clients. And that was frustrating, you know, and I, and I went along with them for a while out of necessity sake, you know, to be provide but that was really frustrating and I didn't like that either and I didn't like the idea of galleries dictating so much you know and then you had to again you had to be humiliated or go along with it like you, you weren't valued for your gifts or talents or what you created but 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 stay in this box because this is what's selling you know our clients want this. They really like this. Can you make more of these? And of course, I I went along with it. You know, right? Because they're like, actually, it's it's nothing personal. Oh, yeah, it's oh. it's nothing personal. Yeah, you know, yeah. We like you as a person, <laughs> but we can't sell. That's not what we're selling. We're selling we're selling a commodity. Yeah, and our our market demands this. Um, it's nothing personal. But if you're not producing what the market is demanding. Somebody else's. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And we can just go to that, which reinforces this whole story around competition. You know, yeah. if the market is limited by what it's exposed to, it doesn't even know what it wants. Yeah. And if the industry is reproducing the same kind of thing over and over and over again, then you you pigeonhole an entire culture. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you, know, you, you pigeonhole oh, yeah. entire groups of people mm -hmm. because they're, you're, the market is saying this is what we want, but they don't know what they want because they've never been too exposed to anything else because the industry of it is like, just keep producing this because mm -hmm. this is what the market wants. Yeah. You know, but you yeah. never, they never get the opportunity to see anything else. Yeah, I always liked it. The, I mean, one thing that I always liked that shows those when I did do something different or, you know, new and different and having different artists even my peers sometimes or but have younger guys or girls or whatever come over and want to check out see what new thing I did you know and I always liked that because to me that it made me feel good and it made me feel like I was inspiring them or they would say that even you know I always gotta I always gotta check out and see what you're doing you know you always got something different and new or you know it was always great like, I really like that to kind of make them feel like, yeah, you can do something different. You do it, do it. You're moving you, you know? I like that. I really like that. That I valued. In yeah, and that's, that's, a, that's, a different, that's a different audience. Right. Totally. Totally. You know? Yeah. And unfortunately, that audience doesn't pay your bills. I know. You know? I know. That's why it was always like a catch-22 kind of a thing, you know? But... I did really get tired of the, um, I mean, it was a catch 22 and I, and I was really tired of that whole scene. I mean, just of the, like I said about the customers and having to be feeling, you know, always having to accommodate them, always having to go along with them, you know, and the other thing, what I've heard so many times, if they didn't know who I was and come in my booth and not maybe see the name elk woman, then they might say, 
oh, is this your husband's work? Or, you know, for, <laughs> and look around for a man in my booth, you know? It used to just... And, and then even ask me if I was Native. Oh, are you? Well, you don't look like one, you know? That whole thing I've heard so many times. Yeah, you know, which it's one? Like, <laughs> yeah, which one? <laughs> I know. Which one do you want me to look like? I know. Oh. And then telling them where I was from. And some of them would know what Mandan, Hidatsa, and Arikara were, but not very many. You know, then they'd be like, or the other thing is, well, I thought you guys were extinct. I thought there was no more of you left. Well, that's what I read in a book. And I'm, I mean, I just get to the point like, oh, I guess I guess that must be a mirage, you an illusion. What? You're <laughs> right. You're right. It's I'm I'm glad you brought that up because it's hard enough as it is. Yeah. Um we are extinct. You're right. We we didn't I'm not here. Yeah. It's like why what are you arguing with me? I know. It's like, well, they know more because they read that book. Yeah. I, you're, you're an expert. You're an expert. And here I, I am in the flesh contradicting your entire education. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the yeah. whole thing. I know. Yeah. And, and you know what? I'm sorry. Because I know that's, I, I know you want me to say, I'm sorry that I'm not extinct. You know? Yeah. Oh my God! I know, and I, I then I go on this other tangent. You know, you don't can't believe everything you read just because somebody writes it in the book doesn't mean that's the truth. You know, depends on who writes it and what their perspective and is. Now you're defending the fact that you exist at all. <laughs> I know. It's like I, I, you know what? I for a moment there, I was like, great, I'm going to have a whole conversation to defend the choices I make, but then you threw in a, a statement. That's now making me have to defend my existence. Yeah. At all. Right. You know. But it did really, I mean, it would bug me because that's what how they would think that whatever they read was the truth because they read it. Yeah. Yeah. It'd be like, ooh, sheep following <laughs> what they read. I mean, you know, no brain, no, no sense of thought or question about things. I mean, that all of that would just irk me. Well, yeah, Ugh. but that's 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 an investment into the academy, that's an investment into education, which is the mill that produces the myth of America. In the 1990s, it changed dramatically once mm -hmm. again, the culture, right. you yeah. know, what was happening in the world. Right, um, yeah. We, we've gone on quite a journey talking about all of these things, um, all of these different moments in the history of the United States. Mm -hmm. um, it's, it's shameful history in relationship to indigenous people. The value mm -hmm. that they place on the myths that they read mm -hmm. in public schools, yeah. you know, that your existence actually threatens not just what I read, but if I can't believe in that, what can <laughs> I believe in? Yeah. You know, and it's like just me being here threatens that. Yeah. You know? Yeah, that's true. Um, that's but true. yeah. And so, so we're in the market is dictating what needs to be produced. It's um, pigeonholing mm -hmm. and um, a lot of it's romantic, mm -hmm. you know, it's mm -hmm. a romantic narrative. Um, there's no room for our pain and our suffering as a conduit for mm -hmm. our joy. Mm -hmm. You know, there's no room for a whole and complex yeah. Indian in the United States. You know, mm -hmm. we, we need it one dimensional. Yeah. Um, I, I need you to produce mothers and babies because that's the opposite in stone. 
<laughs> because that's the opposite of a wooden Indian in a cigar shop. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. Like it's, the, it's the same thing. It's the same thing. But it's different. It's completely different, you know? But it doesn't build any more depth um, or complexity. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Safe, too, mm -hmm. I feel like, you know? Um, I mean, in my heart was in that about the positive, you know, and about family and love and mother and that pure unconditional love, you know, that was my whole point behind it. But you can, you can show that in other ways through your work. It doesn't always have to be a mother and baby, you yeah. know? And, and that was the thing that almost like it was superficial or they could only see the surface of it, you know? Yeah. Well, and not and see the depth of the rest. And of think the of the forms. imagery of what's produced in that market of native people in buckskins, highly detailed, right. riding horsebacks, wind blowing through hair, feathers mounted on all of that. And the audience is saying, you don't look like an Indian. <laughs> and you're yeah. like, well, shit, you're right, because I've been producing what an Indian looks like for you, <laughs> dictated by what you want to see yeah. as being an Indian. Yeah. So, yeah. but where's, where's the room f to see you yeah. as that, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, and then you expect them to change and to see and to have the depth of experience. And yet we, through the market, through economy, were forced to reproduce the images yeah. that they were comfortable seeing. Yeah. Yeah. Moving from that, then, um, when I did start doing the recycling, part of that influence was, you know, I came to a point in my life where I felt like I tapped out on everything, you know, all of the work that I'd done. And um, going through that cancer thing, you know, it w it made me, um, I, I knew that when I got through the other side of the treatment and all that, I mean, I felt like I was going to get through it, it, you know, even though you're not 100%, but I felt like I was, and I felt like when I got to the other side of it, I was going to just be this bright light was going to be there and I was just going to bust out on something, you know, and it was going to just be so fantastic. <laughs> I mean, I felt like it was a rebirth, you know, it was a rebirth. But when I did get through it, I felt a different kind of way, you know, like um, I've done everything. In From my perspective, I had done everything I wanted to do to create. I didn't know where else to go with it. I'd, I'd done the most I could do with 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 all the mediums I had been working in from my perspective I pushed myself to all these areas that I I felt like I could that I wanted to go or whatever whatever I'd seen that I wanted to do something different and and I did all that and then I was in a lull really feeling down and out and really feeling um I kind of have a purpose then you know because my art is me and and I didn't have the motivation the the you know, when you're creating something and you're so excited about it, you're excited about doing it because you don't really know what's going to come out of it, but you got these ideas of doing this new thing or changing it this way or that or combining something, whatever it is, but you're excited about what you're doing that you've never done before with any kind of medium. And then, and then and I didn't have that anymore because I didn't feel like there was nothing that was pulling me to, towards any area, uh, any kind of medium or anything else I wanted to try. And so a couple of things happened was then I went, I started volunteering for these, um, there was different areas in, in Arizona that you could volunteer to work 
do art stuff with maybe homeless kids or there was different areas in Arizona for the need for somebody to come and just do some art arts and crafts with kids you know whether it was the homeless kids or I don't know there was different aspects of it but I don't remember what all they were and they were trying to place me somewhere and they said well this one this place is you know most time men should come here it was a um it was kind of like a halfway house for troubled teens from 11 to 19 and it was guys boys that I had to deal with and a lot of them are gang members and such you know instead of going to jail or the detention place they'd have to go to this place so they were like you know but do you think you'd want to go there you know do you think you're <laughs> like I would be scared is what they expected of me and I'm like mm, you don't know me <laughs> I'm a res chick I got two sons <laughs> you think you think I'm, that's gonna scare me <laughs> So I did it, you know, I mean, I thought, yeah, I'll do this. And then the other thing was they were, a lot of them were um, people of color, you know. There was a few white people in there, but most of them were Hispanic or native, you know. And that was great. I mean, and I really, it was, it was really good for me to do that because it helped me. And in, in, in a weird way, you know, it was free. I wasn't getting paid for it. I was volunteering and it, and it was, um, it just was a it was an invisible thing I don't even know how to articulate it but it was a thing that was making a change in me at this time that I was going over there and I'd go there once a week you know and do some or I'd have to come up with an art project all the time but it really became frustrating to me too because I felt like I don't have any training as far as dealing with those guys it was so heartbreaking you know they're 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 in there because um somebody didn't listen to them they weren't valued they weren't heard you know and they weren't loved that was the whole thing you could just hear it in their conversations in the way that they acted you know or, or act out and stuff like that and and you just you want I felt I just wanted to have the two I wish I could have just had a magic wand and said it's going to be this is it it's okay now, you know, like you want to give them something to, to hold on to. Just, just do little projects with them, you know. I just felt like it wasn't enough. And, ugh, some of them didn't even want to go home, you know. Ugh, that was hard. Made, made good friends with them, you know. They would make me little stuff, you know. It was just when we do projects. But it was just that hard thing that they... When it was time to leave, they didn't want to go home because their situation at home was not was keeping them in that kind of a turmoil. You know, their their parents were alcoholics or druggies or or maybe they didn't even have parents. You know, yeah, it was just or on their visitation. I would hear them talk about these things. You know, like on their visiting day or whatever, their parent didn't show up or their guardian, whoever family. You know, it was just it was really heart wrenching. Um, I think you could find a um, a connection to this com you know completely different group of people that you're having an exchange with. Their expectations are different than the space you had previously been working in, built a life around, and yet for all of the shortcomings of their parents or guardians or whatever their home situation, you were experiencing the same thing. You know, yeah. where it's like this industry now, 
I'm older. I was celebrated for a moment. I've changed some things. I've gone through major life things and they don't value me. You know, they don't like everything that you had just said of being like, um, what these uh, boys experienced mm -hmm. is also very similar to what the industry and the market projected onto you. Yeah, that's true. You that's know? true. Yeah. And then even taking that back further, you know, your tribe, your community, you know, mm -hmm. same parents, same, you know, mm -hmm. so it's just kind of a repeated pattern of not coming to the not fulfilling the expectations of the of the world around you through your filter you know through your lens i'm not good enough for any of you and you don't really care mm -hmm. you know and now you found this group who had that a very similar experience yeah you know? yeah and i think ultimately we all do we all have this experience and it's mm -hmm. and it's growth you know um and it's change and change is constant and it's guaranteed you know and there's no magic wand well, kind of my, part of my magic wand is that I wanted to build a sweat there for them. I know that was really helpful for other areas in Phoenix, you know, running sweats at the uh, women's halfway house. I mean, it was Native Women's Treatment Center or where they, the halfway house kind of thing. They had a sweat there. And then that was really great. I mean, you know, that I know it's helpful. and I And I know it was helpful for a lot of men. Not that everybody gets out there and is good and lives a good life and all that but a lot of them did you know that like, like that was their tool kind of thing you know that connection going into sweat being able to pray that really helped a lot of people i know it did by just by you know going there and running sweats and hearing them and you know all of that kind of stuff and i wanted to do that i wanted to build a sweat there you know let's but they were so they didn't even want me to smudge and one day we did, I brought sage in and, and I just let them smell it and talked about it. And there were some natives in there because there was other ones, you know, like, like, like wanna, that peer pressure trying to be all tough and, you know, don't, don't want to be that, don't want to be that respectful, you know, kind of a thing. But then other ones getting after them, you know, which was great. I mean, it was really good. Like some of them were familiar with it, you know, and, and talk about it that way. It was just good to have that kind of a feeling and that kind of understanding like they're, their their moods kind of changed you know and um i said normally i would would light it and you can all you know uh, wash yourself off of the smoke but they're like i said but they won't let me do any of that here you know but there was the, they always had a security guard in there with in case they got out of hand or whatever and they never did but he's like it's okay you can i said really are you sure and he's like yeah so i did i lit it and smudged everybody and then boy one of these girls and she was just young somebody that worked there you know came in there like, took me outside and you can't do that you can't do that you can't have any of that kind of smoke around here because it it makes it might make them uh what do you call it revert back <laughs> or even want to do drugs because they smelled sage <laughs> you know it was like oh my god anyway needless to say that the sweat was not even a they wouldn't even address that but what what i wanted to say was just that thing being there and really not knowing i i was there for a long like you had to be there commit for a year and i did do that and then i went into the going into the next year and um then auntie sharon passed away so then i was gonna want to go back you know 
so I couldn't be there. And I thought, well, I never went back then. I mean, I went back home, but I never did come back to work with them. I mean, and part of that was feeling like I wasn't doing, I wasn't making a difference kind of thing. You know, I was just doing projects. That's mm -hmm. how I felt. Mm -hmm. And that part was kind of frustrating. But it was, it did make a shift in me somehow. Um, so what direction? What what did that satiate, you know? It, it, I don't know. Maybe it, maybe, maybe it made me appreciate more life and um, maybe what I, what I have and what I'm capable of. Because I was in a bad space, you know, I mean, I was alone. Yeah. No, I didn't have no kids to take care of, no, which was my whole life pretty much. And how do you, I mean, you're working hard for your family and then all of a sudden it's, you just have to take care of you. There was not the motivation there for myself as it was for providing for my family, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's choices that you make. Well, it's it's like the, the machine of this industry. You get hooked on the production and without a reason to produce in that level, the reason being us, your children, you know, probably the lowest overhead you have ever had to produce. And mm -hmm. it was not possible because you didn't have, you didn't, value yourself as, exactly. as as that you know and now working with these folks who had similar experiences completely different you could set yourself a, a, a away from it and come in as somebody who can help you know i'm in a position to help um but in the process you also realize that you're not alone you know yeah. that that the loneliness that you're experiencing is not yours alone you know, mm -hmm. and that it has, it goes in all of these different directions and yeah. stuff like that. Yeah. But it's hard to get back into, if your entire, if the entire industry itself wants you to produce something, you know, or a very specific thing, you can justify the labor of doing that saying, well, shoot, I got to provide for my family. So I'm going to suck up my pride. I'm going to suck up all of this other stuff. and I'm mm -hmm. going to get to work. And I'm going to make this because... It provides food, shelter, mm -hmm. clothing mm -hmm. for what I care about the most. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Well, when you don't have to do that anymore, you don't also don't have to be beholden <laughs> to that. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And then quickly you realize that they don't care about you. That that whole thing doesn't mm -hmm. care enough about you. Mm -hmm. You know? Mm -hmm. So this is this is an interesting time in kind of history and the world and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. um, we're talking late 90s, early 2000s. This is probably now like the early 2000s. Uh -huh, uh -huh. And just the the economy, um, you know, 2008, there's an economic collapse, you know, there's a, we're going into a recession. There's all sorts of things that are happening that's mm -hmm. affecting um, art and art spaces, native people, you know, yeah. at, in general. Uh, but everybody, you know, yeah. the the flushness of the of the mid '90s, late '80s, mid '90s, that capital flush and that like material obsession mm -hmm. of the culture and the and of the United States in general at that time, the things that I have are representations of who I am. Yeah, and I can buy it, I can afford it, I can put it out there, you know. Changed dramatically in the early 2000s in the face of a recession and political shifting and all of this sort of stuff. Mm -hmm. 
Um, I mean, shoot, that's when I came back to Santa Fe. Yeah. From Washington. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember the first time I went back to Santa Fe in New Mexico, there was, everyone was out of the house and you were getting ready for Indian Market. And you were like, I need help setting up the booth, you know? Yeah. And you... I had on, no helpers. Yeah. You were like, all my kids are gone. Yeah. And, um, and you were like, what are you doing? Like, I'm going to have to ha- pay somebody to help me set this up one way or another. Might as well be you. What are you doing? You know? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I've got nothing going on. You know? Mm-hmm. I've got nothing. Mm-hmm. So, uh, came back, helped set up. Sat in that position, you know, made mm-hmm. myself real quiet, still, like <laughs> freaking early 20s, mid 20s, uh, like 22, uh-huh, 20, 21, uh-huh. 22, 23, somewhere in there. But even still, booth baby, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. like an old giant, <laughs> bold booth, old six booth baby. foot three <laughs> booth baby, you know. Um, and I remember that and like not wanting to go through, like not wanting to hang out, like being oh, there. I know, I know. And just being like, you know what? I'm going to be here so you can go to the bathroom. I know. I'll go and get you an I Indian. know you didn't want to be there. Like, I'll get you an Indian taco, <laughs> you know, um, but I just, I can't. Don't want to be in this booth. Yeah, totally, totally. Come a long way to be back here in this booth, you know, under the table. You got to get under that table. Can you have a blanket and some bubble wrap so I can take a nap? Um... Oh, God, I know. But I remember that time because that was also when um, I talked to some, like, scout for IAIA, you know, just randomly. Because I used to paint live. I used to paint with hip-hop folks. And so I'd walk around with a little army bag full of paint pens and canvases. Mm -hmm. And that's what I did to kill time. You know, is pull out a little canvas and just start painting on something using, it was like a sketchbook. Yeah. But it was elaborate. It was an elaborate sketchbook, you know. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And somehow in the process of doing that, I know uh, I ran into somebody who was a a scout or whatever for IAIA, Mm -hmm. Institute of American Indian Arts, a recruiter, (laughs) and was like, we'll give you some money. We'll give you some money to go to school here, you know. And I'm like, Okay. You know, that seems, that seems, what else am I doing? Like, just climbed out from underneath my mom's table, <laughs> you know, during the, the Santa Fe Indian market, 20 some years old, like, might as well, I guess, go to school. I had no intention of doing it, you know, no intention of going to yeah. higher education or anything along those lines. And ended up moving back to, to New Mexico and went to school at the Institute of American Indian Arts. Met a bunch of really cool people. But it's funny because... Everything that you were facing, the mentality around Native American art, all of those shortcomings, the market driving what was produced, um, what was produced had been, had been being produced for like a generation, mm-hmm. you know, where yeah. there, there were folks my age who were reproducing their grandparents' work, you know, yeah. um, and the legacy of all of that. And it's beautiful. It's, it's true. It's a way to hold, um, some of that visual language, hold these customs, Mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. sacred to each other. Yeah. But there's like a moment where you're looking at this whole thing and everything that's sacred, you know, you try to express this, you try to express this 
connectivity and the sacredness to the materials and all of that sort of stuff. But your audience and the market is just glossy eyed. Yes. Oh my gosh. You know, That's where, it's, a good... <laughs> where it's like, you know what? I, I'm hearing what you're saying. It's washing over me, but it's not written in a book. I can't <laughs> verify it. Right. You know, I can't or comprehend. Look it up. Yeah. And then I, and, and you know what? It also leaves me out of the, the conversation. Like that connection that you're talking about is deeper than I could comprehend. Right. And so now I have nothing to say. I'm no longer expert. <laughs> yeah. And I don't like it. I don't like not being an expert. You know? Yeah. You're pushing away sales at this point. <laughs> yeah. You know? If yeah. You, if, you could, if you could anoint me in this knowledge so that I become mm -hmm. an expert on you and your people by purchasing this work and you give me the right yeah by a exchange an exchange of money uh, let me buy the right to tell that story yeah. let me buy the right to be connected in the way that you're trying to describe to me that's the angle that you mm. have to generate in order to become uh, the value of the work to be worth something they have to buy the mm. whole story you yeah know? yeah and um and when you don't want to sell that when you're like i'm selling you a thing what you're buying is the thing. You don't get to buy meaning. Yeah. Meaning's not for sale here. Mm -hmm. You know, um, it's interesting because there's been a whole market that was built around that kind of story, mm -hmm. connecting uh, um, a displaced people. Yeah. You know, yeah. the European American experience mm -hmm. in North America, connecting them to the land mm -hmm. in a way that's deep, that's old. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Um, all of that was kind of things that that me and my peer group were facing. This is like mid two thousands, you know. Mm -hmm. I think I went back to school in two thousand six or seven. Um, there for till twenty eleven, and that's not that long ago. But at that point, we were probably third, maybe fourth generation into the world of native art. Mm. Um, and our audience was the same, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. where it's like, are we going to start this too? Yeah. You know, yeah. was the question. And the only way into this market is if we do. The only way in is if, you, if we perpetuate this narrative. But the narrative was, um, it was created out of a genuine effort to express indigenous people and culture in a time when they didn't, when when indigenous people didn't even have access to their spirituality legally, yeah, you know yeah. that romantic gaze may have been began by native people looking mm -hmm. at their ancestors, mm -hmm. looking at their culture, you know, and and looking back and being like, shoot, we were awesome, you know, but then that became commodified, yeah, you know? yeah, and um, now you have this generation, my generation, who. I just remember being like, I don't see me in any of this. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't see what happened in the last 150, 200 years mm -hmm. in any of this. And it was like, that was like sacrilege. You can't say that. Aren't you proud of who you are? Mm -hmm. You know? And it's like, yeah, but I don't see who I am here. Yeah. You know? I'm like, we've been, we've been pushed through this machine in ways that um, our parents didn't experience. 
in ways our grandparents didn't experience, you know? Mm-hmm. Communication's changing. The internet exists. Mm-hmm. Access to cultures from around the globe are at our fingertips yeah. now. Yeah. There is so much influence of um, media and culture not being monolithic, but complex. Mm-hmm. And the world not being the size of your reservation or your country, yeah. but the globe. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. And so what's the, what's, what's, what's the conversation? here you know from what you've experienced and then um what i experienced going to school there in santa fe in the hub for all of this stuff Mm -hmm. um as you were talking about that not seeing your 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 place there i i um i see that and i i didn't really understand it because that's all i knew what i was shown when i first moved to the southwest as to how to maneuver and create your career how to create uh uh get your career your your name out there and be able to sell your work be able to provide for yourself too you know uh and that's what we had to do and that was the thing to do there was no other avenue that and the galleries and so i was like god even remember when we did a show before you started school when in chicago remember you were doing some metal and and some painting and you you were doing good and you did good good over there in that show you know but you were still obstinate about following that path that I was on, you know, of having to cater to the galleries, you know. Anyway, um, what I wanted to say was not to lessen the other artists at Indian Market when I talk about I was tired of it, but but the uh, politics of it and the people that controlled the Indian Market, you know, that 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 wrote your guidelines and what you could and could not do and these were mostly non-native, you know. I mean, there were some natives in there that supposedly oversaw that or whatever, but I I really got tired of the competition thing, you know. I mean, I started to see that it just pits you against each other. I mean, I, I just didn't like that feeling of instead of having camaraderie, I mean, you know these other your other peers, you know, I know them, you know these other sculptors and stuff, and we, we kind of talk shop, but then there's always that, you know, want to outdo the other person we'll always want to get this ribbon or you know it, it just it just pits you against each other you know instead of creating for creating sake you know you, it just makes you like what's what I mean and I was in that same mind frame too you know is that you you, you know what's what what are they looking for what are the judges going to judge on you know and you go like what are they best uh, and if you step way out of the box well and they're kind of eyeballing you where there were eyebrow eyebrow raised and I mean I was a judge once too you know in there and I didn't like that I didn't like the whole it's so subjective I always thought it was and it definitely is and then you got people in there that are collectors or gallery owners you know and you always know they're voting for their artists that are in their gallery to up their credibility their prices or whatever you know and I just Really didn't like that, and I remember judging and and um, wanting they and and how the most of them wanted to go with what was had been the norm, what was acceptable, you know. And then of course I went to one that was brand new, you know, a stone that was the real the artist was innovative. I mean, it was like contemporary. It was different, so different, and I loved it. Um, I loved that he was stepping out of the box there, you know. Anyway. There was argument over that kind of stuff and about what which one should have taken it. But then it just got to be more so 
where I just, I didn't like that. And, and even having somebody say to me um, in my booth that they couldn't wait till they could beat me <laughs> in the competition. And I felt so bad. You know, it, it it wasn't a compliment to me. I felt bad that, gee, you you that's that's your drive. You know, I mean, it kind of probably from years of being in there, and then once you started school at IIA, it was um, like when I come to see you from time to time for whatever if I came over here for something to Santa Fe. Anyway, and then you guys started that humble, and it was so brand new. What a concept <laughs> to to. Do your own thing. You know, what a concept in, in Santa Fe, New Mexico, where the, the biggest Native American art show for, you know, 90 some years or whatever by that time. And and you guys are just stepping out on your own and having your own like little exhibitions that were being um, getting notoriety in Santa Fe, you know, kind of a rebel group or whatever you want to call it because you, that that's how it was seen you're doing your own thing you're having your own shows you can do what you want to do you don't nobody's dictating to you just do it yeah as, as exactly exactly and nike coincidentally <laughs> it was just just um it was really inspiring to me i mean i loved it i loved and i loved coming to um loved hanging out with you and your peers you know because it was it was um, creative juices flowing, you know, and it was it was doing new things. It was, there was no um, there was no hindrance. There was no walls to be built, and and I was really longing for that. You know what I mean? I I wanted to do more, and I and I just you know was feeling stagnant. But it was like, yeah, you can you can do do it just do it yeah. <laughs> you know well, don't 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 let them dictate to you what you what you want to try out totally and even just to be like um contradictory to the model of the individual artist yeah one of the things that we did quite a bit was paint collaboratively right on top of each other yeah you know where yeah. it's like you know what i'm the weakest painter in this group but we're all going to paint on the same canvas. Yeah. And then when we sell this stuff, we're going to divvy out the smallest amounts to everybody. Yeah. Like it's a generative process rather than a competitive yeah. process. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And it was like, you could also, you could also illustrate something incredibly pop. You know, mm -hmm. you could illustrate something that didn't reference being native at all in mm -hmm. any way. All mm -hmm. the influences of anime and MTV mm -hmm. and, you know, too much sugar, like all all of that influence of being a 20, 20th, 21st century native person. Yeah. One person could put something on that canvas. Somebody else could put something incredibly native. Yeah. And suddenly yeah. this collective experience is ended. You know? Yeah. 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 Right. That's kind of what triggered the, um, when I started to think about, I wanted to be a different be the difference by what I did, you know, and that gave me the gumption, not the gumption, the um, confidence or made made me more brave to step into that using recycled materials, you know, when I started doing earrings. And I remember being so excited about it. I don't even remember what I made, frogs or some kind of thing. I don't know. I was trying to do origami with it at first, but that didn't work. So, you know, I ended up having to cut them and shape them and do what, you know, do different things. But everything was individually done, which wasn't that sellable i mean for the time that you put into it and all that um but i remember being excited and wanting to show you look what i did you know it was totally different from any and you know the what's acceptable 
at in the, in the markets or in the galleries, you know. Mm-hmm. And it it made me really excited about that, you know. It, it really made me excited about doing it. And I remember some of the galleries, you know, that at, that I had been working with that time, and even some buyers like kind of trying to kind of push me away from it, you know, kind of like uh kind of trying to redirect me, <laughs> you know, oh, it's just a phase she's going through, you know, this is, this is probably not a good idea. Um, but I felt it deep down inside that thing of just knowing it was, it was the right way to go or the, the feeling, the drive was there. I knew it was going to be good. I knew, I just, it was a, there was something important to me. Well, you know? and what I saw from outside of that was the majority of your market shifted with that material oh yeah most of the people who bought it were native people right right oh my god it did it did i know there were there were a few that you know had bought but not very many yep it was it was and you know what i really liked that yeah my the most important thing i wanted to say was just that um i don't know what's the most important but just that you inspired me and your peers, you know, to see that you can do something in a different way, that it didn't have to be, that I didn't have to be dependent on, it made me a little braver. Because God, this is what I, markets and the galleries is what I lived with for, I don't know how, 20 years, 25 years, I don't know, 30 maybe. Yeah. But how do you, I mean, all of a sudden you got to just, it wasn't wasn't working anymore anyway. Yeah. So what am I going to do kind of thing? Or what's going to be my market? Or how am I going to go about doing this? That industry, that market, that Native American art market, you know, as the larger thing. Um, but the whole industry of it, the, mar- the economy of it, um, what nations are celebrated, what, what visual language is trans- transcribed through... Uh, commodification to the popular culture simultaneously you're seeing like Navajo rug designs being appropriated and selling other things coffee mugs sweaters you know you start Mm -hmm. seeing this this influence of what this market was dictating as native it became an institution like that idea became an institution Mm -hmm. you have American spirit cigarettes, you have all oh, yeah. all of these things that have been co-opted, repackaged, produced outside of our communities, and then sold to popular culture at a l- much lower price, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and then our innovation was being stifled to reproduce that as well, you know, mm-hmm. this, this, kind of, this kind of thing. It had to break in some sort of way. And it's not even broken. Like it, it was. It was navigating and moving through, at the speed of an institution. Yeah. It became an institution, and mm-hmm. a lot of people were institutionalized mm-hmm. by that. Mm-hmm. You know, that whole kind of way of thinking and stuff like that. I mean, shoot, our for as bold and plucky as we were, you know, creating our thing, it was also generated because of the institution. Like, like that's, that's the thing. It's not, it's not a conversation of versus, you know, Mm -hmm. it's not, it's not a competition. It's literally, it's generative rather than competitive. Mm -hmm. Like, let's look at it generatively. Yeah. Because the reality of it, most of us were, like I had mentioned before, this like strange subculture of booth babies, Mm -hmm. you know, this, Mm -hmm. this subculture of, of native students who are a second or third generation 
of this industry. And rather than taking on the conversation of our parents' grandparents, which a lot of people did, there was enough. The thing was that I think was always really difficult for people to make the leap. It was designed to be competitive. We had we were competing against each other. Like yeah. you had mentioned back in 1986, 87, 10% of the, of the potential booths within the Santa Fe Indian art market were allotted for people outside of the Southwest. Yeah. You know? yeah. That's competitive. This whole thing is competitive. But the economy itself, the demand was always higher than the supply. Mm-hmm. And we, we don't ever talk about that. Yeah. Just because of the, the fate and the effect of colonialism, mm-hmm. the fate and the f- effect of disrupting and assimilating cultures, you know, native cultures from all over, all of that sort of stuff, the genocide and the atrocity, that reduced our population in a way that the demand will always be higher than the supply. Yeah. But we create this infighting and competitiveness, yeah. you know, where it's like, there's only so much. There's only so much that can fit in here. All, all of our institutional models are limiting, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. and, and competitive. Yeah. And, and that's a direct economic model of like Ronald Reagan, you know, yeah. where it's like this, this capitalistic thing will weed out the weak and the cream will rise to the top. Mm. And it's like, no. No, that's not actually what happens. Mm-hmm. Actually, what happens is you uh, uh, intimidate people to not be creative. You know? Yeah, yeah. Um, and to generate what the, what the capital demands, you know, mm-hmm. what the economy demands. Mm-hmm. Um, but there was like a much larger conversation, you know. There was, there was a bigger, there was things that needed to be said that there wasn't space allotted for that to, to happen. You know, and I think us, you know, our humble group, just a bunch of students, a bunch of native students mm-hmm. who experienced this entire market, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. their whole lives, you know, um, what you strove to be a part of, I didn't even respect. Yeah. You know, because I had it. Yeah. Because it was there. It was always there. Yeah. And rather than striving to be a part of it, I was like, where am I? Where yeah. am I in here? Yeah. You know? I know, and and then at that time, you know, I took it as an insult. I mean, almost like, like by me doing it was not credible. You know, that's what it felt like. I felt like that's how you thought about me doing it. You know, like, like it was lower than you know, to to almost uh, um, just not a good, proud thing to do. You know, to be a part of. That's how I felt. Like you saw me. You know, by being by you not wanting to be have disdain for it, you know. Yeah. And then I was like, uh. you take a lot of things personally. Well, of course I do. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but no, I mean, just even the history of this of this story, like the asking about you, you, there are there are much larger things being said mm-hmm. that you take you internalize, you know, and you carry the weight of that mm-hmm. internalizing it. I love you. No, but I, I mean, I understand you. that now. But I'm saying. At that time, and for a long time, I felt like that, you know? Yeah. Well, and like you, was, you work your ass off. I to know. provide for us in <laughs> that. And I'm like, why? Why are you doing this? Well, because I had no other alternative. Right. Right. And the thing is, we didn't either. Yeah. Like a whole generation later, and guess what? We had no alternative. Mm-hmm. There wasn't anything else. And so we just made it up. Yeah. 
you know? Yeah, right. And it, that was that was a really, a light, you know? It was really a bright light for me. I mean, of course, not everybody at, of my age group or my peers, you know, could see that. And, and But I mean, I think I was... I, I was ready for it. Not everybody is, every you know. There's a lot of people that want to be on that. They're fine on their path, you know. But I'm not that kind of person. I mean, obviously, I'm always changing my medium and trying something new and stuff. And I was, it was timely for me too. Yeah. You know, it was like I needed that, and it did make that shift in my life and in my work. Even though I continued with market, because I, you know, I'm way older than y'all, y'all, and I couldn't be a part of your little group. Although I wish I could have, you know. You can't. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying, you know. So my my um, my I still have to continue on that path of 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 being in galleries and um, doing shows because I didn't know how else to make my living. Yeah. And of course, you know the the social media wasn't there like it i mean like it is now yeah um well and then here's the other thing there is that idea that once again it's like you know i, I said you can't be a part of our of our group you know <laughs> it's a joke this is, these are my jokes they're dumb they're hard um but the reality is they're disrespectful because that's the worst thing you could be and that to me seems like the funniest thing to say because mm. It's it's like if it's extra disrespectful, you know I'm just kidding. Yeah, <laughs> you know. Yeah, um, and I get to satiate my <laughs> coyoteness. <Yeah. laughs> um, but I am kidding because the reality is, I am you in there. Yeah, you know, mm-hmm. and and that's that's customary. You know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. not not being individualized. That who who we are is mm-hmm. who I am. But who I am is actually who we are. Yeah. You know, and yeah. that there's a, a relationship to generations. Everything you experienced, everything grandpa mm-hmm. experienced, mm-hmm. grandma experienced, all of that was in there. Yeah. Right. And our ancestors, all the way back to those three sisters and their mothers. Yeah. And their mothers and their mothers, mm-hmm. all the way back. Right. Somehow decided to rent. A warehouse space <laughs> from yeah. all of these different people yeah you know all these different nations from all over the place mm-hmm. like there were people from the southwest people from oklahoma region people up north people from pacific northwest mm-hmm. alaska we were we were what happened when you put all of these indians to pe- together mm-hmm. you know chopping it up meeting mm-hmm. each other learning about mm-hmm. each other's cultures and stuff like that mm-hmm. you guys weren't excluded from it you were it. All of that effort that yeah. went into this actually provided the opportunity for us to be like, I disagree. And mm-hmm. that's a privilege. Mm-hmm. That is a privilege, you know, yeah. and having access to social media and community and culture and all, you know, being able to communicate mm-hmm. outside of these very narrow, controlled, uh, uh, gate kept, mm-hmm. you know, spaces. We could just be like, Let's just do it another way. Yeah. We can. We can. I've yeah. seen it. We have the tools now yeah. that these larger institutions once had control over. Mm-hmm. Access to self-promotion, to promoting one another, all of this sort of stuff. It changed. And everything the generations before had to go through in order to put us in that position, you're, y- y'all aren't excluded from that. We're just, we were the edge of it at that yeah. time. And we're the 
the elders, as my friend calls it, <laughs> young elders at this point in our 40s. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Like, yeah. these are, you know, these young, young people. We're, we're in our 40s now. <laughs> yeah. Like, right. All, yeah, and there's a whole, there's a whole conversation that's happening that I don't even have the capacity to comprehend. Yeah. But guess what? We're in there too. Yeah. Right. Right. Going forward more is just that, I guess, 2019 probably for 10 years there however long that was from that time to that I was I was just done and if Shannon or Karahe was in the booth with me they'd make me go take a walk because I had no more patience with people coming in there and asking stupid questions you know oh my gosh tools for this yeah yes exactly exactly (laughs) but you need to go for a walk (laughs) I would just you know not I'm not in here to humor you or I whatever. I think I'm a performance and, artist now, and I'm going to yeah. fight you in this <laughs> yeah. booth. Welcome to the new art. <laughs> yeah, but I just made that decision in 2019. This is it. I am done. I am absolutely done. I mean, I'd, I'd say that. I'm not going to. I don't want to do this anymore. Jen said, you've been saying that. You've been saying that. You know, I'm like, this is it. I'm, I am not. I'm not coming back to market. I'm not going to do the herd. I'm not going to do any of this anymore. And it was scary after 30 some years of doing that. You know, it was a scary thing to really sever my ties. And and I still kind of think about it sometimes. Um, am I going to be relevant? Is my work going to be relevant? You know what I mean? But just because people would want to see, I mean, not, not necessarily would might be other artists or another native people just come and see what, what new thing I did, you know, so, so it's relevant that way, you know whatever new thing I came Watch people with. copy you, make money <laughs> off of the things that, that they copied. You, you know, cottage industry innovation. <laughs> <laughs> well, and then I did it and, and it's done, but what has really, um, it, it seems timely because the social media has been the, um, I mean, and it was kind of happening then, you know, where you could post stuff. And I mean, I would always post stuff before my shows or give them a hint of what I was doing, you know, and then people would come on and want to see what, what it actually looked like, you know, and, and want to buy it or, you know, stuff like that. It, that was good. And so I started to get a taste of that kind of thing where I didn't need that. I didn't need that show. Well, what am I doing at this show when I can just go ahead and post it online and sell it online, you know, retail and um so that gave me a little bit of bravery (laughs) the social media you know yeah the social media i mean the thing is relevant irrelevant the the centers for art and art markets have shifted dramatically Mm -hmm. you don't have to live in santa fe you don't have to live in north dakota you can stay on the res and still have access through these through these platforms Mm -hmm. and the thing that's really interesting to me is you know, I'm sitting here, most of my audience is a white academic audience, you know? Mm-hmm. I, I know who my audience is. Mm-hmm. I know what I'm trying to do. Mm-hmm. It's the same bullshit. It's just a bigger, a, a, you know, a, a, not even bigger. It's a perpendicular or parallel universe, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I sit there and I watch you getting monumental commissions back home. Mm-hmm. Where I'm like, you know, the the jewelry, the the um, the eco work, and the market shifting towards indigenous for us by us kind of yeah. kind of kind of spaces. Yeah. Also, you use social media in a way that I didn't. 
your access to community and being a representative and an elder of um, a tribe that's little known that your work actually, like you had mentioned before, we were extinct. <laughs> yeah. In the eyes of a lot of people. Right. Yeah. You know, yeah. so like your work actually became a representative to remind people that I know you ain't going to go to North Dakota. Mm-hmm. I know you ain't going to be invited into any mm-hmm. uh, Fort Berthold doings in yeah. any sort of way. Yeah. But I'm here to tell you that everything you learned, everything, <laughs> not just that little bit about us being extinct, but yeah. to put in question everything you've learned. Yeah. You know? Yeah. The tribe knows that. Mm-hmm. The tribe knows that you've gone out there and done that sort of stuff. And now, you know, there's a lot of people who are looking back, looking to you being this kind of person who's, who talked about our tribe in, an, in a completely different region, you know, mm-hmm. for a completely different context, sustained these customary practices and our, and our ways, celebrated in, in a way that was contemporary, mm-hmm. that wasn't somehow entangled with Lewis and Clark yeah. and Western expansion, you yeah. know, uh, North, Northwest Passage, all of that BS, you've done the work to kind of shift that. And the thing is, who else is doing it? Who else was going to do it? Mm-hmm. So now you have been getting commissions to do monumental steel and stone uh, works back home, being kind of like a, a celebrated representative of the tribe and to produce work that's like a part of the culture too. You yeah. Know? Yeah. Um, they ain't calling me to make a big weird something, <laughs> you know? Um <laughs> But but that's that's what I'm saying. Like that that I, I I'm a different. I, we're just in two parallel spaces, mm-hmm. you know. And um, I don't want you to feel like I look down on it or diminish it. I'm like I'm inspired by that, you know. I'm like I get to the point where I'm like, well, what's the point, you know? Who mm-hmm. who is my audience now? Mm-hmm. Too like mm-hmm. and or lean into it. Like I know I know who my audience is, mm-hmm. and and I'm not selling you culture. You know, I'm not mm-hmm. selling you meaning. Mm-hmm. This is a, this is something else. You know, um, yeah. But you find success once you remove yourself from the institution and the expectation, mm-hmm. the hoops that you got so efficient at jumping through. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Light them on fire. Yeah, I'll do a cartwheel. <laughs> um, it's not even a challenge anymore, and I'm bored. <laughs> you know, and and out of that boredom, I. I don't want to do it. I'm not inspired to produce because I can cartwheel through the hoop, you know? Um, I think that, you know, access to social media, access to economic shifts in Mm -hmm. our tribes and different things like that, communication, um, representation. Yeah. Who do we want to represent us, Mm -hmm. you know, Um, is in a completely different light, you know, and and Mm -hmm. your market shifted. Yeah. Yeah. And it, you know, and the other thing is about that. I mean, it was great to have collectors and so on. You know I mean? That was the thing. At well, that, the time. that was the expectation. Yeah. This is and, how you made it. Yeah. That's that one was, of those flaming hoops you had right, to Right, right. And, and um, it's so important to me to have my people that are, that buy from me, that a lot of, they're Native people, Native Americans, Indigenous people, whether they're from my, I mean, a lot of them are from my tribe, but, but then again, there's other ones and it feels so good because then it's like, they know they align with you. They get it, you know, whatever you're doing. And it, and it feels good to have that. It's, 
like being one, having that camaraderie, you know, um, appreciation because they get it. It's not like they don't have glassy eyes, you mm -hmm. know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And it, it's kind of a funny thing because, um, because it's always like the point is to get the big business or the, uh, you know, the collectors, the big money people kind of thing. I mean, that, that, that has been what the, the focus was or the drive, uh, the goal, you know, the end goal. And that so feels good this way that I, in my, in my life, the way that, um, that's not my goal, you know, to have yeah. that and where don't, don't force yourself back into it no. because you have those expectations. You yeah. Know? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's good to be in this area where it's more my native relatives. I mean, my native culture, my tribes and, and others that get it, you know, it feels real good to be, um, I don't want to say representing, but just um, kind of in a way, you know, you're um, you're standing up. I feel like you know, by by doing what I'm doing, and and um, not in the sense that you're representing the people, but just represent natives, you know, represent indigenous people, represent as a native, as indigenous people, you know, the the spirituality that we have, the power that we have. I want your reflection on all of that conversation but also like what would you generate how would you create a generative conversation not for my generation but for your grandchildren's generation you know what what insp inspiration would you like to express here you know here at the um, end of this podcast mm -hmm. going into <laughs> two years three years of a pandemic we could use some inspiration <laughs> If you want to step out of the box, step out of the box and remember where you come from and be proud of where you come from as far as, you know, what your upbringing is, what your cultural background is, what your roots are. Don't be hindered by society. I just feel like it's really important to follow your heart. And then the other, the other part of that too is that you can accomplish anything you want to accomplish. There is no limits. You limit yourself. You know, by your own thinking, you put yourself into a box yourself. If you think you can't do this, it's because of your own thinking. You know, you can't do whatever it is that you put your mind to, whether it's in art or whatever you feel you want to go into, you know, whatever your dreams are, you can do them. That's what I want to put out there. Because, I mean, the other thing is that that's one of the things that used to bother me about people complaining about not being able to do this or that was like, if I could move to New Mexico with five kids and a single parent making a living as my art, anybody can do anything kind of a thing, you know, and provide for my family. There's no excuse. There's absolutely no excuse to be able to to not follow your dreams. There's no excuse to not follow. I mean, what is it? <laughs> Am I saying that right? People can follow their dreams. That's what I'm trying to say. But it, it, if you don't, that's your own fault. That's your own limit. That's your own limitation. Your your own thinking of saying that you have limitations, but you don't have limitations. I guess that's what I'm trying to say. All right. Thank you. <laughs> that there is magic. That that's real. And mermaids. And mermaids. Oh, no.
Worst design ever. <laughs> Impossible biological design. Inefficient. Unrealistic. <laughs> you know, one of the things that I did want to say, I think that is really important, though, is that um, for me, and I still, I still feel that way, is that don't ever forget your, your, um, spirits that help you don't ever forget um you're not doing it all alone you know um it's not all about i did this kind of thing you know that don't ever forget that you got all this help all these ancestors you know that because of them you're here don't ever forget to acknowledge them don't ever forget to offer you know talk to them and say thank you. Um, to me, that's huge, huge, because it. Because um, that's what made a difference in your life. Yeah. As far as native people, you know, I mean, I, I, that's all I can. I can only reference from my own experience, but from my own background. But as a native person, because that's the way I was raised, you know that 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 um, even though I am Norwegian, I don't know about that culture you know i just i'm know sure they've got spirit oh i'm they sure they do but i don't know too. what it is yeah. so i can only go from what what helped me what i always felt um made a way for me and helped me you know like i was saying how those stones literally provide provided for us or any kind of materials that i work with provide literally you know and and so those old stories are for real you know about being able to talk to the animals talk to rocks or talk to trees or how they could do for you you know yeah it's just not in the form of communication that we want it to be in. it's not <laughs> disney communication <laughs> no but it's real yeah yeah totally and that's just kind of what i want to really kind of stress that more to my grandchildren and native people you know oh <laughs> <laughs> But I do think that's an important part. I mean, you know that too. You know how that is when you're doing something. You know, when you're going to go work on something and just like working on those, uh, when you first did those um, monster slayers, you know, and about smudging and about having that feeling and thought about them and how it was difficult. For me, it was difficult because of who they are. You know, kind of a thing. It was, I felt it. So that's what I mean about that whole thing. It's really, it's real, you know. I just guess I want people to not doubt that, to know it's that. Native people. Why did you separate me from the Your future 
and I'll never return. I'll be born into the past. I'm never, never coming home. Why did you separate me, me from the earth? Who did you thanks again? Why did you separate me from the Game. 